Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of our special guest from this past weekend. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's the sermon from this past weekend. Good morning, sweet church. Good morning. Thanks for letting me come. And, and again, I'm, I come as your artist, not anything else but that, okay? So it's interesting when I, uh, Pastor David asked me what is a new series I'm going to be working on with my art, and I said, I'm, I'm looking towards the kingdom of God as a new series. And he said, oh, oh maybe you could share that with us. And I thought, what? You know? <laughs> uh, but um, the whole month of February, I've been reading stacks of books, uh, and I want to just give credit where credit is due. Um, I, I also want to tell you I got a, some of these notes were from my own father, Dr. Larry Waters, who's now uh, with the Lord, um, and T. Wright, as well as um, C.S. Lewis, um, and uh, one of my favorites, um, Dr. Tim Keller. Um, so some of the things I'll be sharing today, it's not probably anything new to you. You've probably heard it before, just like I do, but hey, it's great to be reviewed those kinds of things, isn't it? Um, but I'd like to start, if I can, just what is the kingdom of God? <laughs> um, as I was looking at this subject, it's quite a large subject. Um, some theologians say the whole book of the Bible is, is about the kingdom of God. Um, and I thought, well, that's a long show. <laughs> that's a long series of paintings. But one book I'd like us to kind of camp in is the book of Matthew. So you can open your books to the book of Matthew. We'll be going through it really quickly, I hope. Um, and stopping along the way to see some highlights. So the kingdom of heaven, the, king and the kingdom of God are interchangeable. And they're used about 33 times in Matthew. They're used um, several times in Mark and several times in Luke. Um, and it describes, guys, this word describes a radical inbreaking of God's will and way in the world. A radical inbreaking of God's will and way in the world. Um, my favorite definition was from Trevor Hudson, who's a pastor in South Africa. Um, and I, I don't know if you can uh, hear him if later today on a podcast. He has this wonderful accent. Um, but he says, it is where God's will is done. It is where it is obeyed. That is the kingdom of God. Um, and I love this line, where God's dream for mankind is realized. Where God's dream for mankind is realized. Um, and it's acted out in us. It's acted out in us. Um, there has been an invasion <laughs> into Satan's realm by God's kingdom. Okay, and it's interesting that this topic came up right now while we're facing some of these things we're going through in the world today. Of course, um, we're not Ukraine, we're not going through this huge tumult like they are, but we're seeing kingdoms come in power over other kingdoms. Um, and here we have God's inbreaking kingdom into what Satan would have the world become, into what Satan would want mankind to be like. And the interesting thing, you guys, in Matthew is that God's kingdom breaks through in very unassuming ways, in very hidden ways. He uses the analogies of yeast. Okay. He uses a tiny, tiny seed. We all know this one, mustard seed. 
to, br to break forth into this, this incredible crop. And by the way, I, I looked this up because the mustard tree, it produces twice a year, not just once. It, he uses the analogy of light for the kingdom of God. And if you're like me who loves the landscape, I love to go out and look at the landscape right when the light starts to hit the land. It floods it. It opens it up. I see in a new way because of the light. So this inbreaking transforms everything. It transforms everything, just like salt. Think about how when we put a little salt on our food, it's like, wow, it really made it tastier, right? So let's look at Matthew. Just walk, it, walk with me as we go through it, <laughs> okay? Chapter 1, we've got the genealogy of Jesus, right? Um, you'll notice there's like five very unlikely women in the line of Jesus, five. Mary is the last one of that, but several of those are Gentiles. So the inbreaking of this king, this king, say it again, this king, capital K, has an unlikely lineage of broken people, because if you look at these kings, there's some really evil kings here in this line, the very broken people, and yet the king came. So it didn't stop him from coming. <laughs> um, that's encouraging to me right now as we look at evil kings. Right? Um, and I also want you to notice that God uses Gentiles. As we look in chapter 1, the birth of Jesus, there's wise men. We don't really know there were three. There's three gifts, but the wise men come and bring these gifts. Guess what? It's the Gentiles who noticed his star. The Gentiles who noticed there's a king coming. And they bring kingly gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. We remember this, right? Right. So now what happens is there's a king. Do you all remember the king at the time of Jesus' birth? Herod, that's right. Diane, good job. Um, Herod, and he is a very evil king. And if you'll notice with me, I hope you'll just... Pause with me and look at him for a minute. He is just like Satan. As a matter of fact, I believe Satan was in, in this whole situation because Herod is obsessed with power. And he's afraid that his power is going to be taken away by this king that the Gentiles are telling him about, right? So there's an inbreaking of this new kingdom and there's Satan who's afraid that his power is going to be taken. By the way, we all know it's not really him who rules anyway. We know that it's God. But he's afraid of that power being taken and he doesn't want to let go of it. So what happens right off, let's go to that next slide. Right off, we have spiritual warfare. And it happens in our bodies. It happens in real time. This is a picture of what we usually like to celebrate Christmas with presents and gifts and feasting and going shopping and looking at pretty lights. And, but we always forget this part, the infanticide. The, the young boys, two years old and younger, were, were, were slaughtered by Herod because of fear of his power. And I, I just point that out because Satan, Satan doesn't want to have his power given away. Um, and what's cool is, this is cool to me, I hope it is to you, Jesus comes in the most helpless form, 
that the most helpless, weak form you could ever imagine a baby. If any of you have held a baby, you know how squishy they are. And they can't do anything, right? And Satan can't touch him. So this king has come. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And this phrase is interesting because it's not that, G- that Satan was up here and he came down, like he was in this power and he came down. It's this idea that his, in the words here, he's thrust down from his pinnacle of power. He's thrust down from his pinnacle of power. And he comes, Jesus does it by being this little baby. This little tiny thing that we would just pass right over. So, all right, so then, chapter, look at, chapter 3. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist says, is, he's quoting Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You can go to the next slide. So this is a painting I did a long time ago about that prepare the way. It's a very straight path in the wilderness, that light. Just prepare the way. Let it through in those dry and weary places, okay? Make straight. And John the Baptist's main message about the kingdom of God was repent. And if you're like me, you're like, what's, why? Why would that be the main message uh, of the kingdom of God? Um, and we, we might know this definition, but to repent means to, I was going in this direction, and I'm going in a totally opposite. It means to turn around. To, to turn around and do the opposite thing. Okay? Let me say this. Maybe this will help. The, the self-sufficient don't need God. They got it. I'll let you know, God, when I need you. You know, when things are really bad, I'll call on you. But right now, I'm fine. I don't need you. But the repentant, the repentant realize, God, I need you. I I need you. And John is making light, uh, not making a really heavy statement of, you've got to come to him because you need him. You are sinners. We are all sinners. And we need God to help us turn around. Yeah. So he may, John the Baptist prepares the way for Christ. Um, and then we'll look at chapter 4. You go to the next slide. We have the temptations of Jesus. This is one of my favorite paintings of the temptations of Jesus. Um, you'll notice Jesus has one finger up. And I think it, it shows sort of a single-mindedness of Jesus. There's only one thing, devil, that I care about. <laughs> if you're like me, I'm... Look in chapter 4 with me. Okay, it says, And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Wow, that's a really... You think he was hungry? I think he was hungry. Um, in, in our household, we have some kids who have the hangry. You know what I mean? You know, I can't even bar anybody because everybody else is feeling it, right? And we need to have that kid eat a candy bar so the rest of us are okay. Right? And, you know, Snickers used to do that, right? With the Godzilla and then he'd eat the bar and it was a little kid. Right? That's the idea here is that Jesus is very weak because of hunger. <laughs> Again, 
we have Jesus coming as a different kind of king. He chose hunger. He chose vulnerability. He chose frailty, which is hunger. All of us have felt the sense of hunger. Maybe not to the regard of Jesus, but... And yet, Jesus doesn't feed. He doesn't succumb to the temptation that, that Satan wants him to, right? Uh, again, what does Satan throw in front of him? Power. Back when Herod was the king, but now Satan the tempter, he says, if you bow to me, you can have all the kingdoms of the earth. And I love this painting because Jesus has this single finger and he says, my one true thing is following the Father. My one true thing. That's the kind of king we have. That's the kind of king we serve. There's nothing in the way of him going to the cross. Nothing. So, now, we get to chapter 5. And he's going to preach a long sermon on what kind of citizen is in the kingdom of God. And he's going to hit on a lot of things, and it's going to hurt. But let me just stop there at chapter 5, and he goes into the Beatitudes. Many of us know this. Okay, and I, I, for the sake of time, don't have time to unpack all of the Beatitudes, but I'll unpack about three of them with you, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, okay? The poor in spirit. What? What's a poor in spirit? Well, the commentary from Michael Wilkins says, um, those who lack resources and those who are spiritually and emotionally in need of God's help, they can't do it on their own. They know they need God. And guys, we live in a time where people think, and it's a very American trait, very American. I can do it my own. I'll pull myself up from my own bootstraps, right? I'll make my own way in this world. The American dream, you know, basically. But we know those who are poor in spirit, we can't. We need God's help. I'm sick and I can't get well on my own. And one of the ones I appreciate the most is blessed are those that mourn for they will be comforted. A disciple is one who mourns the things that break God's heart. You can go to the next slide. So the, the one who breaks God's heart, is, when I look at pictures of Ukraine, I know all of us feel this way. We, it's breaking our heart. I, I, I can't do anything else because I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about families and people and what's happening to their world and their president and it it hurts God to see power hungry people take advantage of another country yeah. and then I love this one blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth the meek it says domineering aggressive can experience a kingdom characterized by gentleness can I say that again? Is that relevant to our time? Domineering and aggressive cannot experience a kingdom characterized by gentleness. So 
Look at this, look at this poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hungry, thirsty, merciful, hmm? pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted. These are all things that the world would pass right over. The, pers- the world would say, what? that's not strong. That's not powerful. Here, I use that word again. That's not powerful. How is that a citizen worth anything? But Jesus says they're the ones. And let me tell you something. He doesn't just tell us. He gives us example after example of how to be like that. Not only in himself, but in his words. Now, one of the ones I love the most, this is a painting from Grace Bomer. She's a beautiful artist in Asheville, North Carolina. And I love this because it's, it's a planter planting these seeds in the, these little pits. Okay? And you'll notice that very humble stance of the planter. <laughs> Jesus uses this picture of a farmer constantly in Matthew. He uses the picture of a seed. He uses the picture of a sower. He says that the sower is him. The seed is the gospel, the, the truth that's put inside of us, the hope that fills us, the, that spark. And what does he call our hearts? If your Bible is like mine, it says that these, the parable of the soils, the soils in Matthew chapter 13. Have you ever thought of your heart as a soil? <laughs> Any gardeners in here? Any great, pretty good gardeners? No, no, maybe one, okay. Um, I'm not, I'm terrible. And I love green things, but I can't seem to grow anything in the clay. But I'm told by master gardeners that the secret is the soil. The secret is you've got to have good nutrient soil. Nothing will grow if you don't. And Jesus uses this analogy again and again. Your soil, is it right? When he gives you his message, are you letting it grow? Is it nutrient rich? Or is it falling on hard ground? Or is it weeds? Hmm? Yeah. So we look at uh, this planter, guys, and the main picture we have of God talking about his kingdom is growth. Growth. Is it growing out of us? And, you know, a lot of times we might think of it as like, oh, is our church growing into a super church? You know, are our programs great? Um, Is our budget great? I don't really know if Jesus would have been obsessed with those things. I think Jesus would have said that the thing that needs to grow is us, is our hearts, is the depth and love. So he moves from chapter 4 to 13. He talks about this image of the planter and the growth, but he's also talking about inside of us. Guys, we've got to be salt and light. You know, he's talking about how we talk about people. He's talking about how we look at one another in a lustful way. He's talking about divorcing. All kinds of intimate things that happen in our hearts and also out, right? Um, And then in the next slide... You go to the next one. This is a picture of I, I drew a long time ago um, of the street children in the Philippines. Okay, um, and this is just again, not that the poor. I, I don't want you to see that the poor are the ones God loves. God loves all of us. Okay, 
but it's just an image, a visual of how helpless we are inside. We're all weak. We all need him. We're all street children. Lord, I have nothing. And why did the poor and the weak and the helpless come to him so quickly? Why did they, why were they so easy to come to the Lord? Because they, they really literally had nothing to lose. Remember, it was the wealthy man. Remember, it was the Pharisees and Sadducees who had the hard time coming because they had built up all this stuff and it was in the way. It was in the way of seeing this new kingdom that Jesus was talking about and the new king that he is. So uh, that's why I use the picture of the street children in the Philippines. Yeah. I was talking to Beth before church started and it reminded me as I was painting um, this painting, and I'll get to this in a second, but I, the Filipino people are like this. They, they don't have a long history of this, this uh, exquisite art uh, like the Japanese do because they were never able to be a superpower. They have always been sort of an oppressed uh, country within Asia, the poorest of the poor. And, and you might think, well, nothing exquisite can come out of that. No, no, no. I can tell you from my own eyes, growing up, born there, raised there, that their hearts are gold because they love you. They, they truly love you. There are people there who pray hours and hours for you, for me, for people they know and love and people they don't know. And they pray because they have hearts that want to follow God. There's nothing between them. And so it was to me a good analogy of the idea that the Lord wants nothing between us. All right. So then the, the next image, and this is actually in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, but, but Matthew also talks about lost things being found. And this is also a painting from Grace Bomer, who's a beautiful artist of the prodigal. You'll notice the uh, face of, of the, the father kissing the head of the return, returning prodigal son. Okay. Matthew uses the idea of a lost coin, right? Uh, lost sheep. The lost things are found in the kingdom that matter. The things that are lost matter. If you're like me, you look around and you think everything's been tainted and lost. And Jesus says, no, nothing's lost. Nothing's lost. Nothing's lost. Hmm. Lord, we look at this, we say, Lord, are you working on our hearts on the outside? So he's working on the hearts of us on the inside, but are you working on us on the outside? Are we actually showing love to one another? Are we actually showing love to our neighbor. Um, the prodigal son story is really a story about brothers. It's about one brother who didn't want to love, and it's about one brother who didn't deserve love. And Jesus is asking us, are you going to be the brother who sits outside and grumbles, where's my party? Or are you going to be the brother who says, I, I love you. I'm so glad you're, you were lost and now you're found. That's what the father says. Do we welcome with joy those that were lost? And then Jesus does something really cool in Matthew. He, he shows us it because he helps the leper. 
and he helps a Gentile, and he helps a woman, right? And he helps lame and blind and demon-possessed. All these people that that known world of the day would say aren't worth helping. They're trash, God. I'm the one that's good, not them. I've been the faithful brother. I've been here the whole time. They're just trash. And Jesus says, no, it's the, it's the people out there who are coming quicker than you because they realize they need me. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, when he was healing a paralytic man, he doesn't heal the man. He actually says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders say, who can forgive sins? And Jesus says, well, so that, you, so that I can prove to you that I'm someone who can forgive sins, I'm going to actually heal him too. But let me tell you, the most important thing is that I forgave him of his sins. And guys, do we get the depth of that? Wow, that we're forgiven. We're forgiven because of this king. This king came to forgive us, to embrace us, and remember that father came running? Okay, so the next one. So John the Baptist, if you look at me, with me, in chapter 11, Matthew 11. And now we're going through this, right? I can only stop at a few places, but this one was very important to me, I felt like, Okay. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who's come or should we expect someone else? Oh, John, thank you, God, for putting this in the scripture. Because John... Jesus says there's no one greater than John. And yet John is doubting in prison. Guys, Herod, he's called out Herod for his sin. Herod's married to a woman who's his relative. And he's living in sin. And what's happening is he's having a party while John is down in a dungeon. And he just went preaching and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's thinking... God, I'm righteous, and I'm in the dungeon, and there's an evil man up there, and he's having a party. I don't understand. Is this the kingdom we were talking about? Are you the king? And when darkness happens, when evil seems to get control, we get our minds off it, right? We don't see the real kingdom work. And Jesus says, go back and tell them what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. John had to adjust his expectations of God's reality. And just say that again. John had to adjust his expectations of God's reality. How about us? We see nuclear war, we see fighting, we see 
racism going crazy. We see all kinds of problems in schools. We see what? And we get overwhelmed and we say, Lord, where are you? Do you leave public school? Because it looks like it. Maybe you need to, and I need to, adjust my expectation of God's reality, of how he's working. God was bringing the kingdom in a different way. He wasn't overthrowing it by kingdom. He was overthrowing it person by person by person by person. And he was going to the very low. So I want to stop, like if this was a movie, I say this to the ladies' class sometimes, if this was a movie, I would stop the camera for just a minute and I would say, what kind of king is this? I've been asking that a little bit, but like if we could just slow the camera down and just pan over to Jesus, okay? And this next slide, I just love this picture of how dark it is. It's Jesus praying in the garden. Um, If you'll flip with me, Matthew 26 I know, we skipped a lot, right? Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples, uh, verse 36, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Okay. Pastor Tim Keller preaches this sermon, but I also was reading the sermon of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a a Puritan preacher. Um, Many people have to read that in English lit. uh, You have to read the sinners in hands of an angry God sermon. But he actually has some really great sermons besides that one. Um, And one of them is the Garden of Gethsemane sermon. And so for just a second, if we could pause here. Jonathan Edwards says, the father gave the cup to the son. And, he, and this, is par- this is a picture, okay? This is not, but he swirled the cup. So you could look into it. And Jesus was not just given a glimpse, not just, oh, that looks nasty. <laughs> Jesus was given the full view of that judgment. Tim Keller says something really interesting. He says, God says to mankind, to us, God says this to us. He says, obey me, obey me, and you will live. And we don't. 
Obey me, mankind, and you will live. And we don't. We chose to go with the, uh, with the fruit. God says to Jesus, to his son, Obey me, and I will crush you. And Jesus does it. We have people in, in the society today who, who say, I, have, I just want a loving God, a God who accepts everybody. Um, that's the kind of God I have, and that's the kind of God that I serve, is a God who's just loving. You want to ask yourself this, what does it cost your God to love you? What does it cost your God to love you? That's the kind of king we have. Because the true God is infinitely more loving than that vague loving God. Yeah. And, and by the way, my sweet mother's here today, but my father suffered with... Uh, cluster headaches a lot of his life. We, we, we prayed as a thorn in the flesh. Lord, remove it. But he, the Lord never chose to do that. Uh, it, it's a nerve damage. It's very painful. And at times had to have surgery to cut the nerve so that the pain would not be so constant. Unfortunately, my father had to be awake for that. So they knew when the nerve was cut. Very excruciating. My mother was always there, always there, when he was in excruciating pain. She says she can hear him in the waiting room screaming. Why am I bringing that up? I'm not just to say I'm sorry that you're dead, but the father was also suffering because as any of us know, those who watch somebody that we love be hurt, it hurts us too. And by the way, the father had to crush his own son. And all through millennium and millennium and millennium, they've been pouring love into one another. And there he had to judge him. And so the father was also in deep, deep suffering for you, for me, for the lowest low and the highest high, whatever that is. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of king. The father suffered deeply. The son suffered deeply. As Jonathan Edwards says, he opened the furnace and it burned to look into. And yet Jesus said, God said to Jesus, obey me and I will crush you. And Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you, God, for that kind of love. So the next one, and as we walk this story, see, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. Jesus says it in Matthew 8. Jesus says it in Matthew 10. Jesus says it in Matthew 16. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, interesting, to me it's interesting. He says in Matthew 11:30, 30, 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you're like me, I've always struggled with that. Because didn't you say I was supposed to take up my cross? And then you told me it was light. I don't understand, Lord, how that fits. How do those go together? So this helped me with the commentaries. Thank you, God, for wise people, wise preachers. <laughs> take up your cross doesn't mean burdens like ailments like my father had. It doesn't mean having a bad spouse or a bad boss or a terrible job. The cross is a place of death. It's a, for me, when I was painting this, it's called Golgotha. It's, this, it's the fiery furnace that's just blazing on that hill. Just The cross is the place of death. And when we take up our cross, what we're saying is, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die to this self. I, I, I'm ready to die to this, Lord. I don't want anything in the way. And guys, that's called sanctification. It takes a while. Those habits that we get into, those things that we think, oh, well, so, no. We're ready to die to those. And it does become lighter, doesn't it? Once the Lord helps us work on those things, once we start letting go of those habits, once we become better people. You know, I sit at a dinner table sometimes and I'm saying things that I don't want to say. Why am I saying those things? That's not right. Why am I thinking those things? Lord, help me die. Take up that cross and die to me and rise up to a lighter burden. That burden that you give us, Lord, a way through. God, you sanctify. You sanctify by your power only. And a lot of times, I think as Christians, we live kind of in a, a world of like, well, just do your work, God. I'm just going to wait till you do it. And we make no effort. And that's why we're made into a body. We're to be accountable to one another. We're to hold each other up. We're to say, how is it going with that? What's God talking to you about lately? This is what he's dealing with me. And maybe not all, you know, 50 of us can talk like that, but several of us in small groups can talk and share those burdens with one another and cheer each other on. And then what happens after the cross? We all know we're in Lent, right? <laughs> we know the story, the next painting. We're in resurrection. Yeah, we're in resurrection. This is a time where the dead things come to life. Behold, I am a new creation, says Corinthians. Hmm. Every aspect of my life is given over for resurrection. I like that line. Every aspect of my life is given over to resurrection. Habits that feel good for the moment can change into habits that feel good for eternity. Hmm. I can't do it. Only God can. What I can do is repent and be willing. And I like this line. I, I have this in my, in my art room. Do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. This guy will tell you what that next right thing is. Okay, that's not a secret. It's going to hold that from you. 
when you ask him, Lord, what's the next right thing I can do? Love somebody who's hard. Not just say, oh, I forgive them. I hope they're fine. Actually be around them. Yeah. Actually spend time with them when it's hard. Actually give of yourself when it really is. I don't want to today. Hold my tongue when I wish I was wanting to say something else. When I'm hungry and grumpy, not to be grumpy at other people, right? Every aspect of my life is given over to resurrection. And that's only comes through a king and a kingdom. Who can do that? So guys, the last one here, and this is the slide. Why am I showing you a picture of the Roman Empire? <laughs> What's the history lesson? But this was the known world, right, at that time. I mean, there's a lot of other world. There's Asia, there's Africa, there's a lot of world going on. But the Roman Empire at, at that time had conquered so much power over others. And Jesus came into that world, and you don't see him come in conquering Roman Empire, but he permeates it. So much so that they started to call the followers of Jesus Christians because they're so weird. And let me just give you a few examples of how they're weird, right? You think it's terrible now with all our gory horror, horror movies. They watched gladiator games where people killed one another, right? The, the Roman Empire had a thing where, it's infanticide, where Roman women didn't want your baby. You put your baby in the road, and you left him there. Roman Empire had a lot of slaves because they had a lot of empire. And you got to do whatever you wanted with those slaves, and they didn't have any rights. So trafficking, way high. Well, what happened with the Christians? The Christians gathered up the baby in the road and said, I'll take care of them. The Christians went to the widows, and they said, I'll help you. The Christians went to the slaves. The Christians, during the plague, stayed in the cities to help the people who were sick. When everyone else was fleeing the city, the Christians stayed. Why? Because they weren't afraid of death. They knew that their kingdom was a kingdom of resurrection. They knew that there was something more eternal to live for. And they were so weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say this out loud. They only had sex with their spouses. They were known for their joy. They were a people of joy. They are people that shared and kindly loved one another, and they gave, and they gave. And they got this name, Christians. So, is the kingdom of heaven real? It shows up. Is it in the expectation of what we think superpowers must look like? It's not. It comes in this mysterious form, hidden ways. But when it blossoms, you can't stop it. Okay, so now, let me get to this painting. All this, right? 
So for the month of February, I've been trying a new kind of material, uh, gold leaf. And they come in these very thin, thin sheets of leaf, about three inch squares. And so over the whole surface of the canvas, I put this gold leaf. And then over the top of the gold leaf, I will paint the oil painting on top of it. And then I'll wipe away some of the oil paint so that you see the gold come through, okay? I thought, yeah, that's gonna be easy. It'll be, that'll be, sounds like a great idea. I should do that, yeah. You know, only found out that, oh my gosh, this is so hard because every time I went to put the gold leaf down and I was wiping it away, I was scraping the gold off. I was like, well, it must be some kind of seal that I need, some kind of seal that will make it where I won't scrape the gold off. So I went to all these websites, and, and Kendrick will tell you, I spent weeks, weeks trying to figure this out, and there was no, but I even had people say, you can't do it with oil paint. You can't do it. And I thought, why would God give me this idea? Am I wrong, Lord? Am I wrong? So finally, called a company in Portland, Oregon, who makes oil paints, and I said, listen, I've got this problem. What can I do? And they were wonderful. Love you, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> and they gave me an idea for seal that I could use. Now, this isn't my first painting. My first painting was a 36 by 72, very long painting. I had to throw it on my curb, you guys, with real gold leaf on it because I ruined it twice. I tried. I wept over it. There was nothing I could do. And the world's blowing up, and Don's worried about gold leaf. That's how it feels. It really is. And I asked the Lord, why do I have, Lord, who cares? Who cares if I paint something pretty right now? The world's blowing up. And, and the world, and this is encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you. It was as if the Lord was saying to me, but beauty is hope. Beauty is a pushback. It's this way of saying, no, there is something real. There is something worth loving and being, getting up in the morning for. It's real and it's true and it's good. And I will keep working until I figure this out, Lord. And so I found a seal. I found a seal that I could use that still kept the gold shiny. And I want to share the scripture with you. You guys might think, wow, I think she's over-spiritualizing everything she does. That's fine, I do. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21 to 22. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Well, you know, when I read that, I thought, that's right. I need a seal over that kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of God is like this gold. And by the way, it's real gold leaf. I didn't feel it was right to talk about the kingdom of God and use fake gold leaf. It's real gold leaf, white gold. And then over that, I sealed it with a, a see-through seal but it's strong so that when I go and I paint over it, I'm not ripping off the gold. And this deposit that God gave us, this Holy Spirit that God gave us is strong 
and it helps us see the, whole, the work of the kingdom of God on earth. It helps us see. And you may not know what this is. It's a, it's a waterfall. And I use a waterfall as an analogy of God's love. It's never ending. The source, the headwaters of all love is God. God is capital L, love, love. He made it. He knows it. He is love. From him comes that. And I don't know about you, but you can't, you can't hold down the power of water. It breaks through granite. Look at the Grand Canyon. It makes a difference where it's poured. Yeah. So it's a seal God has made, and it comes through in unseen ways. And yet, guys, I hope you'll, you'll, uh, you'll take this for what it's worth. If you'll walk around this painting after I'm done talking, you'll see it in different lights. And George, if you might come up here, we wanted to show you just at least to move it a little bit so that you might see it in a different light. Um, at some point, you'll see it, and at some point, you'll lose the, the, the image. So pick it up. And then we'll just go forward with it. See the sheen? And then backwards. And then forward one more time. And then backwards, yeah. So this, this kingdom, guys, is hidden. But if we look for it, it can be found. It's very real. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website, at arapahoroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 10.45 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.